You know, I spend a lot of time talking about the bad guys on this show. We spend week after week talking about how APTs and individual hackers might go after companies, pipelines, common people, and try to exploit the system for their own benefits. I think it's time we take a step back and come at this from a slightly different lens. See, back in early 2021, I found a Twitch channel that I really liked. I was itching to get better at my own hacking skills, and several times a week this channel would pop online with stuff like Newbie Tuesdays or put up helpful guides. The one that got it all started with me was the one he did on buffer overflows. Anyway, I came to find out that this streamer, Alhazred, was also a professional red teamer. And after reaching out to him on Discord, I invited him to join me for an episode and he accepted. So this week, I'm John Cordes and I won't be explaining much to you at all. Instead, I'm going to kick it over to Al and let him talk to you about what the shell he does as a red teamer and Twitch streamer. I guess you want to get started? Uh, yeah, let's just do it. Let's get it done. For my audience, do you want to give yourself a little bit of a quick introduction? Yeah, my name is uh, Ahaz Red, uh, short, uh, Al for short. I'm a professional red teamer. I'm in the consulting world, and uh, I perform red team operations on, uh, on fairly high-profile targets on a regular basis. I'm also a generalized penetration tester. Sometimes I don't have a uh, red team assessment to be on at any given moment, so they'll put me on a uh, uh, a lower profile, like internal or external network penetration test sometimes, or a web, or a web app or a mobile app uh, now and then. But the point is, I'm in the I'm in the trenches. I'm uh, I'm doing I'm uh, I'm a penetration tester and red teamer uh, full time, and also a content creator on Twitch.tv. So when Al is talking here about the aspect of red teaming and penetration testing, he's saying that internally or externally, you could have a team come in and look at your company to try to find ways in which they could either exploit the current systems and people in place to get data, get access, get information, and then work with you afterwards to maybe help patch up those holes, let you know where these problems are, and move forward in a way that hopefully you're not just taking this report and waiting to do your next one next year you're hope you're taking these action items and bettering the network and bettering the people at your firm is that that's sound about right in, in reality it's uh <laughs> like i do quite a few retests and i find a lot of the same repeat uh a, a lot of the same repeat vulnerabilities um so sometimes vulnerabilities can't be fixed uh because uh, it's the, the vulnerabilities in a legacy piece of software that can't be replaced because it's part of a big machine uh, or something like that. I've seen that plenty of times. Or other times, um, they just don't have it in the budget to fix it or something like that. Uh, it's, it, it's complex. Uh, the, the, movi the moving parts of, the, or of an organization's cyber defense are complicated and, uh, and they never stop moving. There's always, uh, there's, there's always new vulnerabilities coming out. The, the battle space is constantly changing. It is a constant, ever-changing world in the penetration testing world. Although most of that, I don't really care about. On a red team, uh, you don't really care about uh, your average software vulnerabilities and things like that. Uh, the red teams are about uh, different stuff entirely. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? When you're on a red team, I guess, what do they have you poke at in particular? What's a day kind of look like for you as someone who's doing this work? So it, let me first make it a... a 
I just alluded to a distinction between a penetration test and a red team uh, assessment. There are a lot of key distinctions between those two. At a high level, I can see how people like conflate those two terms in that at a high level, you're pretending to be, uh, you're, you're hacking into stuff in order to expose the vulnerabilities and, and tell the clients about them so they can fix them. At a high level, those goals are the same for both a penetration test and a red team assessment. However, that's really where the uh, similarities end. Uh, for a penetration test, the as you alluded to, the goal of a penetration test is really just to find as many vulnerabilities as possible. Big, small, um, uh, in the attack surface that you are poking at. If it's their external infrastructure, then you're looking for vulnerabilities in their external infrastructure. If it's their internal network, you're looking for vulnerabilities in their internal network. You're just trying to find, catalog, uh, exploit, and demonstrate as many vulnerabilities as you possibly can so that they have the best possible picture of what their cyber defense posture looks like. Uh, that's a penetration test. The red team assessment is primarily focused on adversary emulation. You are simulating a real breach, like somebody really gaining access to your organization and uh, what a real breach could look like for your, for your organization. My job as a red team operator is to pretend to be a sophisticated high level threat, like a cyber criminal or an APT, um, and to demonstrate to a company what could occur uh, if if the if they are breached, usually red team re penetration testers are just trying to get as high of permissions as possible. Uh, like for an internal penetration test, it would likely be domain admin that you're that you're aiming for, the highest permissions in the domain. Um, but for a red teamer, that's not necessarily the case. You want exactly the permissions that you need in order to accomplish your objective. You're usually given an objective like a particular machine to gain administrative access to or a particular data to gain access to uh, or something like that. Um, for example, I red teamed Moderna TX uh, back before the COVID vaccines were released while they were still in development. And the objective for that assessment was to gain access to their uh, their COVID data, uh, their COVID vaccine uh, data. That That's just an example of a red team objective. And a lot of times a red team doesn't want to get uh, domain admin permissions. Uh, it's counterintuitive act, uh, to think that a, red, that a hacker would not want to escalate their permissions. But domain admin accounts are usually highly monitored by the organization. By A robust organization will highly monitor their domain admin accounts and not use them unless they absolutely need to. Um, so if a domain admin account all of a sudden starts going wild and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, uh, that tends to trip alarms. Uh, on a red team assessment, you're trying to fly under the radar as much as possible. Stealth is of the absolute, uh, is, is absolutely essential. Uh, and your goal is essentially to try and gain access to, to get, uh, complete your objective before the blue team kicks you out. Uh, so you're essentially training the blue team. Uh, that's what the red team does. It's a, it's a simulation for the blue team, I suppose, if that makes sense. It does. And I liked your point about maybe not always trying to go for domain admin because vows are high profile. And when you think about it, I don't know a lot of C-levels that I've worked with that are domain admins, but they have the data that I might want to be getting at, right? Or someone who's in finance that mm -hmm. has transactional data that sure. someone may want to steal, right? They're not going to be domain admin and those are the targets. So I can see a very important distinction there where, yeah, the actual loot that you want is not always hidden behind domain admin. It almost never is. Honestly, uh, 
if I saw a service account that was called SQL Admin, uh, that would instantly become the highest target uh, to me uh, on most assessments because most organizations have their a lot of their sensitive data in SQL databases. So um, if I get the control of their SQL admin account, I a lot, a lot of times have everything I want. Now, you had mentioned the Moderna assessment that you had done. I was hoping you might be able to elaborate a little bit because you told a story on a different podcast about how you got in for a little bit of social engineering. And that's a topic that's actually coming up on one of our next episodes. And I thought maybe that would be an interesting story for my audience to hear is how that one went down because I got a good kick out of it. So for the Moderna one, yes, uh, there was some social engineering involved uh, in the initial access. That one was a little bit, uh, that assessment was one of the few that I've had in the last uh, couple of years that have not been assumed breach. Uh, and what do I mean by that? Uh, I mean that um, assumed breach means that we don't have to go through the rigmarole of uh, phishing or gaining or, or uh, any kind of uh, social engineering or anything like that to gain that initial access. The organization is going to give it to us. Um, like they're gonna, uh, they, they will either um, have us provide them with a, uh, a, a payload that they'll run on their machines, or they will provide us a laptop that is joined to their domain that we can operate from, like a typical employee laptop that they'd have. Those are the two most common ways in which we play out one of these assumed breaches. And you might ask, well, Al, why do you do this? Uh, why would you do something like this if you're trying to simulate a breach? Uh, the, the, the answer to that question is, uh, as the, an the answer to many questions, uh, money. The organization doesn't, uh, the, the phishing part of the assessment takes a long time. Uh, it is a arduous process um, that uh, doesn't always go very well. And the the organiz and and the reality of the situation is that if an or if a if a in a real situation where a real attacker wants access to your organization, they're not going to be limited by time. They will have as much time and as many resources as they are willing to devote to compromising you. They'll send as many phishing emails as is necessary. They'll call as many of your employees on the phone as necessary. They are not limited by time. So eventually they will gain access. It will happen if they are persistent enough. Uh, the goal is to make it hard enough for them that they give up. Again, organizations don't want to pay for all that extra overhead. Uh, so a lot of times they'll just do assume breach. We'll get initial access and then the, the game begins from there. They're just like assume breach basically uh, plays with the a general understanding that eventually someone's going to click on a phishing email. It just will happen. And then we're just going to skip past that part because we know it's a certainty that at some point it will happen. And, and then just skip to the interesting part that comes after that. But the Moderna one was not like that. They gave us the extra time. They get that, we were on that assessment for three months. Oh, wow. Uh, three, yeah, three months. And the first month and a half, uh, the first month and a half, the first month and a half was all phishing. Uh, it was all um, OSINT and phishing and trying various things and poking at their external infrastructure, trying to find that initial foothold and while trying to remain underneath the radar as well. Eventually, I elected to target people, especially when I do social engineering, I like to do, I don't like to do what some of my colleagues do, which is like develop a generalized email that they can send to a lot of people that hopefully one or two people are going to click on. That's what they like to do uh, a lot of times because it's easy. <laughs> But I don't like that. I like to I like to pick my targets very carefully. And then I like to spend some time researching the target, learning about them. And then I like to especially tailor my attack to them. 
that's what I did in this particular case. I scraped a list of their employees from LinkedIn and I went specifically, keep in mind what I'm trying to gain access to. I'm trying to, I know that my objective is to get COVID vaccine data. Uh, that is the end goal here. I don't need to gain domain admin on their organization. Uh, as it happens, we did, but we didn't need to uh, necessarily. So I'm targeting people who are A, are going to be closest to the area of the company that I want to target. Like I didn't aim for people in accounting. I did not aim for people in IT. I aimed for people who are in the lab, the biotech sector. Um, I'm looking for people who are doing the scientific research. So I, and I, and I'm looking also for people who are probably not very tech savvy. Um, generally, uh, this, this amounts to, uh, older people, o uh, older people, uh, do tend to on average be less tech savvy than younger people. Uh, but it's more than just that. In this case, uh, my target that I selected was, uh, younger. I picked several targets. It wasn't just one. I don't. I, I do hedge my bets a little bit, but this was the one that was most interesting. This guy was an intern uh, who's doing lab work. He had just graduated from college, and he was doing an internship before he went uh, for a year before he uh, went to medical school, I believe. And uh, he was his internship was at Moderna doing lab work. So I'm like, oh boy, if I can get into his machine, I bet you I could do some. I bet you there'd be some stuff in there. So um, I, I researched this guy. I found out what college he went to, and I found out he played some college ball there. Um, I looked up his profile on, uh, on like a college football website. I wanted to know everything about this guy. I OSINTed as anything that was useful as far as targeting him. And then I, I created an email that was posing as someone else from his college class. I even picked somebody from his college class, and I was like, God, I hope that he didn't know this person in real life. But his class was like a cut, like several thousand people, so I figured there was a fairly low chance of that. Um, so I just I just had to go with somebody. So I went with somebody. I, I actually did some more OSINT, searched for a number of the women from his class at random on Facebook, and I picked which one was most attractive. And that was for a particular reason. I wanted him to look her up, and then find her attractive because that would give me an in. That's a psycholog. That's a that gives me psychological power. I did all of this and then I posed this, this person in an email to him from a Gmail account that I had set up and I didn't send him a payload at first. I like to soften up the target at first. I want them to develop, I want to develop a rapport, a little bit of a conversation, and then we send him a payload. The payload in this case was a Microsoft Office document that uh, if opened uh, would execute a macro. Uh, it was not a .docm document. Uh, little, little, most people don't know you actually can execute macros in .docx uh, documents. I, I sweet talked him a little bit. I said, hey, like, I see you're working at Moderna. That's awesome. I'm not even doing anything right now. I'm just trying to take the MCATs and go to med school. Um, I actually had a little bit of a leg up here because I was actually pre-med in college too. So I could talk the talk a little bit um, and make and drop a few like biology things uh, to make it to make it seem like I knew what I was talking about. We we had a back and forth. We, we had emails back and forth uh, like the three or four times. And eventually I was like, hey, I would love it uh, if we if we could get if we could get coffee sometime. But also, I'm trying to get uh, an internship somewhere, and I I'd love to work for Moderna. You're doing great work over there. Would you mind looking at my resume? And he said, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll definitely do that. And I and then I sent him uh, a fake resume. It looked like a real resume uh, that had the right the right name on it and stuff, just generalized information, and it had a macro that executed in the background. And he did click on it, and it did run. 
Um, and we did leverage that access to uh, to compromise the entire organization and accomplish the goal. So I like to do a little bit of social engineering. I find it fun and I find it, that's where I really get my kicks. So uh, uh, that one was a little bit of a spicier one. There are lots of examples uh, in, in the red teaming world in which I've had to leverage social engineering to get uh, to get the job done in one way or another. I think it's an interesting thing to think about because a company can put so much money into their cyber defense, right? But ultimately, one person can really break that house of cards, depending on how knowledgeable they are. And your point was, let's talk about old people, right? But there's also, I think, people coming straight out of school that might not have been prepared for this kind of thing, too. I find that sometimes with entry-level employees... There's just office stuff that they're not familiar with, right? They don't, they haven't gone through the awareness training yet. Maybe if they're new, they just did it, but it's not necessarily fresh in their minds. They're just clicking through these trainings. They just are like, all right, yeah, this looks great to me. Let's go. A lot of people like to think, oh, no, I'll never click on, I'll never be the entry point. But in a lot of these big hacks that people read about online, it is just the random generic person who could be you that clicked on something they shouldn't have or went to a website that was taken over or just was specifically one of many targets by a threat actor. Yeah, and that's just human nature, right? Social engineering is always going to be present because it exploits like something fundamental about who we are as human beings. Uh, human beings want to trust you. They want, and they want to be helpful and they want to, uh, they also don't care about security at all. Like realistically, the average employee at your company doesn't care like they do not care about security nor should they have to what they really care about is finishing their work so they can go home for the day and spend time with their families that's what they care about ultimately you just need to avoid arousing their suspicion the the whole thing operates uh prevents it's it's very smart people fall for social engineering simple social engineering tactics all the time it's not a question of being smart or dumb uh, or being even tech savvy or not tech savvy. It's about not because the, the goal of social engineering is not to engage that part of the brain at all. It's an entirely different part of the brain. You don't want to alert those frontal cortex, higher cortical reasoning skills at all. You want to just play, you're playing in the world of emotions, the, li the lizard brain. You just want to make the target feel good and feel like this is an interaction that's worth trusting implicitly and just long enough for you to get done what you want to get done. And for many employees, that's going to be easy to do just because, again, the average employee is not uh, is not looking to, like, scrutinize every single thing that happens to them throughout the course of the workday. They want to finish their work. They want to go home for the day. And they want to go on with their lives. Like, that's uh, ultimately why uh, the biggest threat an organization faces is from its own employees. Uh, not just from employees clicking on phishing emails, uh, but also employees wearing their badges out in public locations and losing them. Uh, employees leaking company data on social media, uh, even disgruntled employees actively compromising them in order to harm the company. Uh, statistically, the highest, uh, the highest danger a company faces is from its own people, which just means you just gotta train your guys. You gotta train your people, uh, training, 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 training. Um, and some companies do it better than others, uh, but nobody is perfect. Right. And you're talking about, you know, one of the things you just said was leaving your badge out in public. Or I think what a lot of people don't realize is that if there is a determined hacker, there are tools that if they just walk right by you can read the card that's on your hip. Or 
-hmm. if your company issues you a laptop and you like to work in a public area, sooner or later you might have to use a restroom and someone might just walk by and take a laptop. It's happened in places I've worked before where people have reported missing laptops because they got up from their Starbucks or wherever they were and they came back and it was gone. And these very simple, very effective ways, I feel like social engineering and really red teaming in general is almost like the evolution of bank robbers and con men, right? As the cyber world came into fruition, these same kind of tactics kept moving up with it. And now it's a legitimate career in finding these holes in security. Yeah, no, abs absolutely. And those things that you just listed, I've done those on real assessments. I go on, I have plenty of other examples of physical assessments that I've been on where I've stolen employees' badges from public coffee shops. I've stolen, um, uh, I've, I've, uh, I've never stolen a laptop before. Most companies won't allow that, but I have found unattended laptops and I've found unlocked unattended workstations and run payloads on them. Uh, the, I mean, it's these are all mistakes that an employee will make just all the time. And so an organization needs to co be constantly vigilant and also uh, needs to employ a defense in depth posture that's why the assumed breach is such a common thing uh, for employees, because they just realize that their their company is going to be is going to be compromised in some way, at some point, and there's really nothing they can do to stop it forever. All they can do, uh, so they they want to test their defense in depth capabilities. Okay, what if if a, if a if an attacker does gain access, does steal a laptop, does gain an employee's credentials? How fast can we detect them before they accomplish anything uh, of consequence? Which you you want to be putting up? It's about a multi-layered uh, a, a multi-layered defensive posture, uh, where an attacker can be detected and routed at any given at at every step in the in the process, making it as hard for them as possible to accomplish their goals. I've heard of uh, defense in depth almost akin to the Swiss cheese theory, where you know, if you look at an attacker trying to get in and how they get in is the whole of a Swiss cheese, every piece of defense that you throw up is a piece of Swiss cheese that you're throwing at the wall, right? And while you might not cover every hole, the next slice might cover a little bit of one hole, and then one more slice, another layer in your depth might cover the next. And it's not a perfect solution, but that's not necessarily the goal. You're really just getting as much preparedness and as much architecture in place to help do what you were just talking about. You make everyone aware of when an attacker does get in and do as much across the entire infrastructure as you can to prevent that. You talked about being a bio major. Um, mm -hmm. Now that was at the Air Force Academy, right? It was. I and was a 2011 Air Force Academy graduate. How did you land from bio major into cyber warfare? Spoiler alert, I know where he goes after, after bio major, but how did you make that transition? from bio to pilot to cyber warfare yeah so i mean that's a it's it seems like a pretty it, it it they seem like different subjects right you talk about biology you talk about cyber warfare these feel like entirely different subjects um but honestly as you know somebody who knows something about both of them i can tell you they're not really um do they cover different topics uh yeah you betcha but the concepts the high level concepts uh, in a lot of areas, are very similar. What is biology really fundamentally about? Biology is about the uh, the interaction and operation of complex life systems. There are no systems more complicated than life systems. Um, and really, what is cybersecurity about? The interaction and operation of complex systems um, that and how they can be subverted. Uh, there's a reason we call viruses viruses. 
and we call worms, worms. We named these things after real biological constructs that mimic uh, what those particular pieces of malicious software do. There is overlap, at least in my head. There's a, there is overlap in that I am interested in complex systems, how they interoperate and lock together, and how they can be subverted, how they can be brought uh, turned against their own ends. And when I was into biology, I was particularly interested in pathology, the science of disease. And it's the same now. Now I just do the science of computer disease. So first of all, I really don't feel, I, I feel like there's more overlap than people realize. So that's first of all. Second of all, what you have to realize is that at the Air Force Academy, what you major in has no bearing uh, that everybody, well, first, let me explain. Uh, when you graduate from a service academy in the United States, you are commissioned as an officer in the, uh, in the, uh, in the service uh, to which the service academy belongs. I went to the Air Force Academy located in Colorado Springs, and therefore I was commissioned as a second lieutenant. Uh, in May of 2011, I was commissioned as a second lieutenant uh, in the United States Air Force. Um, you are given a career field based on the needs of the Air Force when you graduate. Now, uh, you can put in your preferences, and ultimately your preferences and your class ranking decide where you're going to be, uh, how likely you are to, be, uh, to get your preference. Uh, as it happened, I wanted to be a pilot. I always wanted to be a pilot. Uh, Top Gun was a formative movie, movie to me as a kid. If anyone's watched my live stream, you know I really like Top Gun, and I reference Top Gun fairly frequently on my stream. In the background of the stream, my old helmet from when I was a pilot is visible uh, in the shot. Uh, and that's on, that's on purpose. I was supposed to give it back to the Air Force when I quit being a pilot, and uh, I just didn't. They took two years of my life for piloting. I'll take the helmet. I'm taking, I'm keeping the helmet though. It's happening. So I wanted to be a pilot. It's always what I wanted to do. I actually wanted to be an astronaut. Well, that's not true. What I really wanted to fly be was an X-wing pilot, but it turns out that X-wings are not actually what you'd call uh, real. <laughs> so uh, I, I settled for NASA, you might say. And the, and my parents told me at a very young age, well, if you're gonna, if you wanna be an, an astronaut, you have to go to, uh, you have to be a pilot first. And if you want to be a pilot, you have to go to the Air Force Academy. And they told me that uh, at like the age of eight, and it like burrowed down deep inside of my uh, inside of my hippocampus, and it just kind of sat there. Uh, and that was just always what was going to happen. I was going to go to the academy. I was going to be a pilot. I was going to go to be an astronaut. That was it. Uh, and I went to the academy, graduated. Uh, I was given my preference because I was high enough in my class that they. Gave me a pilot slot. I went to pilot training. I, I graduated from pilot training and I went into the instructor pilot program because I wanted to go into fighters. Uh, most people don't get fighters right out of pilot training. It does happen, uh, but you have to be really, um, we called them Sierra Hotel in the, in the business. I won't, uh, I won't, I won't repeat it because I don't know how cool you are with profanity. We said you use, we use a lot of profanity in the, in, in the, in the piloting world. You might, if you can believe it. But you had to be really good. You had to be really, really good. You had only like the first couple, two to three people in uh, the top rank, two to three people in the uh, in the class would get fighters. Uh, so I, not trusting what my ranking was going to be, opted to go into the instructor pilot program where I would have my choice of aircraft coming out. So I went into the instructor pilot program. I, I did not care for it. Uh, I did at this, it, I was already not liking the whole pilot thing for many reasons. Um, but the instructor pilot program really killed it for me. I really started to not like it. So I eventually said, you know what, this is not what I want to do. It took me a long time to undo those, uh, to undo that idea in my head that I just had to be a pilot and I had to go to the, 
and I and I had to be uh, apply for NASA. It, it took me a long time to undo that. Two over two years of my life was spent trying to figure out that I made the wrong move there. But piloting ultimately was not good for me. I didn't fit in in the culture for many reasons. It wasn't as intellectual of an activity as I would really have liked. Once you figure out the whole flying thing, uh, it's really a very automatic exercise. You're following checklists. There's not a whole lot of thinking happening. I didn't feel intellectually engaged. So I just wasn't happy. Um, and I asked them to reclass me into a different career field. And at the time, put in some preferences, but they ultimately gave me cyber warfare. I think that was two or three on my list. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll, go, I'll do computers and then I'll just get out of the Air Force in a few years and find something else to do with my life. So they sent me to the initial officer training, uh, the uh, undergraduate cyber training. Uh, I went to that and they exposed me to the security world there. They showed me a little bit of Metasploit, a little bit of Nmap. And I was like, oh, this is the, this is the cool, we found it. This is the cool stuff. This is the stuff I should have been doing all the time. Like, uh, I already liked computers. Uh, I was, you know, uh, I was, uh, I was one of those kids uh, who really liked computers, really liked anime, really liked building computers and tinkering with technology and stuff. But I had never really looked into cybersecurity as a career. And at that point they exposed me to it. And I was like, okay, this is where, uh, this is where I need to be. So I found my calling there. That's how I made the pivot into cyber warfare. I was a threat hunter for a few years stationed overseas. Uh, and then I got out to uh, go offensive. Uh, now I, uh, I'm a re I've been a penetration tester uh, and red team operator since 2018. Now, I know there's a little bit of here behind the clearance, uh, but can you give a little bit of a rundown as to what cyber warfare really looks like for you on a, you know, military level i think a lot of people kind of have this romanticized military has the top of the line they're picturing these war room kind of things and uh i do have friends who were in before bravo career field as well when my unit got shut down we were all presented with the choice of either going to uh try to get into a network warfare unit near us or to just have your contract cut and i was in network security at the time did not end up doing before Bravo, but one of my coworkers did, and he and I keep in touch, and he's told some interesting stories about what that looks like. So within, without giving too much detail, if you can, can you talk to me a little bit about what that was like for you? Well, I can tell you that, uh, I can tell that what, what if, if you're picturing like, like crazy war rooms and like code scrolling down like screens, like in the movies, picture whatever the exact opposite of that is. Like whatever the exact opposite of the cool stuff that you're uh, imagining is, that's what it actually is. Cyber warfare in the in the military, uh, I can only speak for the Air Force, but I'm sure it was similar in the other services. In the Air Force is a gigantic mess. And that's because uh, predominantly, uh, the, the biggest reason is that, that the cyber, that cyber warfare moves too quickly for the internet to keep up. Or not internet, for the military to keep up. The military is a slow moving engine. It's controlled by fighter pilots. It's controlled by uh, people who, by old generals who didn't grow up with computers and aren't really com and aren't really comfortable with computers. They can barely get their email to work. For God's sake, I should know. I was in Basecom <laughs> for a year. These people are who are making decisions regarding cyber warfare. This is a cyber warfare is a is an area that is changing all the time. Constantly new exploits are coming out, new technologies are being developed and exploits for their technologies, or those technologies are coming out just as fast. Uh, this is moving at an absolutely breakneck pace. And the military is too rigid and controlled by people who are too uh, resistant to change to uh, adapt uh, effectively changes needed by the cyber warfare world. That seems harsh. 
but really, these are challenges that face every organization out there. The Air Force is just another example of another organization who's struggling to, comp to cope with the fact that they need computers to operate, but that computers are, are a liability as well. And they're struggling to figure out how, what that looks like, how they defend themselves against that. So uh, I can tell you that it was a mess. Uh, as always, it was a mess. Nobody knows what they're doing. Uh, in, the, in the Air Force, I was surrounded by a lot of officers who could talk the talk. They could talk about things like vulnerabilities and, and hacking and buffer overflows and Nmap. They could talk about all these things. But in reality, if you sat them down at a command prompt, they wouldn't know any idea what to do. They don't have any idea because that's the enlisted people do that stuff. I imagine that in that side of things, you know, with the Air Force, in my time there, everything was, you are going to follow this uh, AFI to the dot or this AFMAN mm -hmm. to the dot, right? And you're talking about this time frame that is constantly shifting and being time to exploitation on these vulnerabilities constantly going down and down and down. By the time a draft gets put out there, it's already well behind us as to whatever a big threat is. Or with, by the time whatever kind of uh, draft action gets put up for these units, I imagine that, oh, well, they've already done the damage, right? It's That was kind of one of the big things that I envisioned being a bit of a bottleneck. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, I always, I liken it to um, in the military uh, or in the at the Air Force Academy, if you can believe it. Uh, we had some classes on military strategic studies. I know, it's crazy. Um, but we talked about um, various... Uh, a lot of like strategic thinkers uh, and what they and their outlooks on warfare and the impacts they had. Um, the one that always talked to me the most was John Boyd, uh, who was a military strategist. He was an Air Force fighter pilot uh, back in uh, uh, predominantly he was operated he was operating in like the Korean War and also the Vietnam War. Um, but uh, he wasn't he was uh, an advocate of very similar things he said that um the the older people are holding us back man um like the things need we need to adapt and and overcome and imagine what the next uh the next uh area of warfare is going to be we need to be faster than our opponent at adapting to the battle space and that and um they're not following colonel boyd's ideas uh over there in the uh in the cyber warfare space uh, in the military, but that's not completely their fault. Again, every organization is struggling uh, with this stuff. Uh, the military is just uh, one of them. Yeah, and unfortunately, the bigger the organization, which in this case is a pretty big one, the harder it is to uproot the currently in place system with something new. Yeah, trying to convince fighter pilots that their email not working is not actually the worst thing that can happen when a computer uh, with a computer uh, is very difficult. <laughs> Uh, like, for example, um, when I was still in the service, uh, I was sent to uh, squadron officer school in, uh, in my last year in the service. I was sent to squadron officer school, which is a normal thing that people go to when they're captains. Um, they're, they're, they're sent there for their ongoing professional education. And you're purposefully put into a group, uh, a flight of um, a bunch of other officers who are all in different career fields. Uh, from you. And there were several pilots uh, because a lot of people in the Air Force are uh, a lot of officers in the Air Force are pilots. Uh, I was the only cyber warfare officer. So when we came time to have discussions on like cyber warfare's role in the current war, the pilots would often just talk over me and be like, look, computers are a big thing right now, but that's that's going away. We're patching more vulnerabilities every day. Uh, eventually, software is just going to be good. Is uh, eventually this kind of stuff isn't going to be a thing anymore. And 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 trying to explain to pilots 
uh, whose job is to put, um, as we said in the service, put warheads on foreheads, uh, that there's a little bit more, there's a little bit more nuance to it than that is very difficult. It frustrated me enough, and that's why I originally got out. I just couldn't, I, uh, it's, it just wasn't an environment that I was going to thrive in any longer. And so you ended up leaving, going into red teaming, pen testing of the current work you do now. But one thing I do want to talk a little bit about is your move to Twitch. How did, what prompted mm -hmm. that? What, what did you see that was just like, I'm going to start streaming? COVID. COVID. That's, that's <laughs> the big, <fair. laughs> the biggest thing. The biggest thing was COVID. It was during the first wave of lockdowns, uh, when we're all kind of stuck inside. I was cooped up. I wasn't getting any social interaction. It was a rough time. I'm introverted by nature, but that doesn't mean I don't ever want social interaction, you know? Uh, and my brother is all was already a Twitch streamer. He'd been doing it for over a year at that point, I think. And uh, I started being like, well, what if I did like Ipsec does and uh, started making content? What would that look like? I looked for, I considered what I might do. And uh, I there's a... There's there's IPSEC that already exists for doing hack the box walkthroughs, um, and John Hammond already existed too. He's doing other stuff on YouTube, uh, but nobody is sitting over here on Twitch.tv or is live streaming themselves actually doing the hacking stuff. Nobody is live streaming doing try hack me or hack the box or that's just not something that was happening. So I felt like I could fill a niche. I could try this out, fill a niche. And do some do and do some of this stuff on stream. Show the authentic hacking process, uh, because when you watch an Ipsec video, Ipsec is tremendously knowledgeable. He's smarter than I'm ever likely to be. He he has taught me so many things over the years that uh, it's uh, I, they're innumerable. They're innumerable. But ultimately, when you watch an Ipsec video, you're watching his um, sanitized and polished run through the box after he's already rooted it a couple of times and has prac and has you know and has the benefit of editing on his side if he messes up or uh can't figure something out on the fly or anything like that uh that's not the authentic hacking process the authentic hacking process is frustrating it is a struggle uh it involves enumeration trying harder tinkering testing uh frustration uh anger that's what I intended to show. I intended to show people what hacking really is like, and I thought I could do it while being a little bit entertaining. Uh, so I thought I'd try it. I gave it a shot, and it turns out it struck a chord with some people, and uh, I developed a following pretty quickly. So that's why I started doing it. I started doing it mostly because I wanted social interaction, and secondarily because I felt like there was a niche that could be that I could fill. And I have um, to imagine that's had some positive impact on you professionally too. It's like, I feel like one of the things that we've learned and we've talked about is teaching people really affirms your skill set at something, right? You're teaching all these people who are watching your streams how to do this, or you might have to adapt on the fly. I feel like it has to have had some level of creativity impact on you and your uh, work professionally, has it? Yeah, I mean, uh, it definitely it definitely does help. A lot of, uh, uh, when I interview for jobs, they always ask about it and, um, they like to see that you're involved in the process and my uh, and, and the in the security community just in general. But uh, like to your point, my dad always used to say my dad is a high school biology teacher and has been as long as I've been alive, I, I think. Um, but and uh, he always used to say you don't really understand something unless you teach unless you can teach it to somebody else. That that's very true. The ability to explain something uh, in, especially in simple terms, people give, people undervalue that, I think. 
Uh, I think the real the real sign of intelligence in another in in somebody is that they can take a complex subject that not many people understand and break it down into simpler terms to explain it to lay people or or less in, or to less uh, knowledgeable people. Um, that's a very valuable skill to have, uh, and I'm happy to say that uh, that a lot of my viewers have gotten that from me. I'm glad to have been able to teach them by. By break and it's helped me in my head to understand some of the things that I teach a little bit better because I have to teach them to other people. I get smarter, they get smarter, we all win. Like we were talking about before we got started, I used you for several different key practices that I was feeling a little less than stellar on. It was very easy to understand. I followed along, got the concepts, and it kind of stuck in place. And I think that when you're talking about interviewers, I hadn't really thought about that. Looking at your content... It's almost like the ultimate resume. Yeah, I can do it. Proof is in the video format right there for you to watch if you want. I, I think I think they do check out the stream a lot of times, but they don't take that as like proof <laughs> that I can do the thing. If there's a, if the, I do find that there are less hiring challenges that I get subjected to now. I don't know if that's a uh, a product of the industry just getting tired of doing hiring challenges, or if they're seeing my content early on and being like, okay, we don't need to subject this guy to the to the usual little CTF thing we have them do. <laughs> Whatever the case, I'd, I'm happy to not have to do as many things, to, to, uh, and not have as many hoops to jump through when I'm in an interview process. I don't know how much of an effect it's had. Really, I consider the streaming to be separate from my professional life. The streaming is just sort of an extension of my natural desire to like tinker uh, and be better at what I do. Um, it's separate, uh, it's largely separate from my professional job and I don't let the two interact very much. I think that's fair, and there's one other thing I wanted to ask about with the streaming in particular, which is, I think, you know, I've seen other people stream occasionally trying to do things like hack a box, but one thing you have that I think a lot of people don't is you almost have a bit of a brand. You've got your Lovecraftian background that makes its way out every single time you pop on stream as soon as you introduce yourself. How did that one kind of come into play here? Like, how did I get into Lovecraft and like specific, what, specifically? That and how did you, why did you choose that as what you're going to kind of center this channel around? Well, the, the key to content creation in general is to have a brand. You want to have something that identifies you in the space. And what right from the beginning, like before I even did my first stream, I was like, well, if this thing takes off, I'm going to want it to be unique. I'm going to want it to be, I'm going to want aspects of it to be personally identifying me in the space because the cybersecurity world is not very big and I want to leave my mark on it. It's my passion. It's my, it's the community I'll likely be in for the rest of the time I'm alive. I want to leave my mark on it. I want to contribute to it. I want to be a part of it that people can identify. I want to carve up my own little niche in the cybersecurity world and add to it, make it better, uh, improve it. And uh, so right from the beginning, I was imagining what can I do to set myself apart from other people, like from other content creators like Ipsec and John Hammond. What I came up with off the top of my, well, I was, I'm a big fan of horror in general. I love horror. I love horror movies. I love horror games. Uh, I play horror, I, I play horror games and I watch horror movies. Pretty much if a horror movie comes out, unless it looks real dumb, uh, I'm going to go to see it. Uh, especially if it's weird, the weirder, the better. I, I'm a big fan of horror in general, and I especially like Lovecraftian horror, with caveats. H.P. Lovecraft was um, not the best guy you may have heard when he was alive, <laughs> but much like other uh, beloved books from in my life, I am capable of separating the work of the author 
from the author themselves. That's why I can still tolerate Harry Potter. So with what which with Lovecraft, I really like what he did with the whole cosmic horror thing. I I've always liked it. I've I've read his work for many many years and I've always found it inspired me in many different ways. Both it stimulates my mind and makes me think uh, because not only does it is there the the classical horror aspects uh, that he's trying to create, but there's also the interesting psychological aspects of digging into why this came out of Lovecraft. What about like a writer's work is a reflection of who the writer is as a person. So Lovecraft is telling us who he is through his work. And I find that it's interesting to read his work and see what he was afraid of and see it translated into crazy monsters and deities dead at the bottom of the Pacific and crazy monsters from other dimensions. It, it's really it's it's really interesting to dig into like that. So I've always been interested in Lovecraftian horror. I've always really liked that brand of horror especially. And I was like, well, hacking is kind of modern day sorcery. It's dark magic. Like it's like a lot of a lot of people use the word hacking. A lot of people who are lay people uh, don't know anything about the space. Use the word hacking much like you would use magic or they'd use those terms basically interchangeably because it's like magic to them. Like the, the hacker did some crazy computer stuff and transferred a bunch of cryptocurrency they weren't supposed to have or something like that. And that, so that's something I thought I could channel. I could channel. I am a teacher of the dark magics, which is where my name came from. Alhazred is the writer of, in Lovecraftian lore, Abdul Alhazred uh, is the fictional name of the author of the equally fictional evil book, The Necronomicon, which appears in a lot of Lovecraft's work and contains a lot of rituals for interacting with forbidden gods and things like that. Uh, a big painting of him is on the wall right behind me where I'm sitting right now. It's in the it's in the back of the frame of the stream if you watch. He is the the figure I decided to use as my namesake uh, because I am teaching people the dark magics of hacking. It just seemed to fit. It seemed to fit and nobody else was doing Lovecraftian horror uh, as their brand in the cybersecurity space. So uh, it, it, it worked out really well. And also it comes with a built-in mascot with tentacles and everything. A built-in mascot and almost somewhat of a built-in fan base because I do think that in this field, I wouldn't be surprised at how big the overlap is of people who enjoy Lovecraftian stories and people who enjoy trying to poke around and hack. No, I agree. I do. I think I think there's plenty of overlap there. I, it uniquely identifies me in the space. It lets me revel in two areas of my life that I've always enjoyed, combining my uh, certain par aspects of literature I like uh, with cybersecurity, which I love. Uh, it's it's worked out very well for me. I'm very happy with uh, with my choices regarding uh, regarding my brand. That's awesome, and it's worked out so well. I mean, hey, it's worked out well enough that I wanted to get in touch with you for this podcast. So. Uh, thanks for coming on. When can people watch you stream and what can we kind of expect coming forward from you? Well, uh, I stream Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Uh, during the week, uh, I, t I obviously have to work. I have a full-time job. So I typically go live at 5 p.m. Eastern during the week uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. On Sundays, I usually do it earlier, usually 2 p.m. Eastern or 3 p.m. Eastern if I sleep in that day or something. I'm looking to beef up my content. I especially got to beef it up in the YouTube world. I got to beef it up. I got to get more. I got. I got to. 
I'm a one-man show. I need to not be a one-man show anymore. I've got to get my. Uh, I got to take my content to the next level. You can expect to see more of me, because I'm not going. I'm definitely not going away. I'm definitely not going to stop content creation. Uh, it's only going. I'm only going to get more prolific. I'm really excited to see where that goes. And for anyone who's listening on my side, I am going to link your Twitch channel down here and a link to your Discord channel because I'd like to even if it's just a small audience, make sure people on my side know that this is good content that you can be watching that is very helpful. Oh, absolutely. I On, on, on Newbie Tuesdays, uh, I try to, as the name suggests, uh, every Tuesday is Newbie Tuesday, where we try to focus everything as much as possible for beginners. Uh, we do focus on the offensive side of cybersecurity because that's what I've been on. We've done some defensive stuff in the past, uh, but my viewers kind of expect the offensive side. They want to see the pen testing. We most often do hack the box, try hack me, or offensive security's proving grounds. But we occasionally do do other stuff. I want to start dabbling in cryptocurrency as well. By the time you guys are hearing this, uh, the CTF will have already played out. But at this moment, there is a... Uh, I, I've made a perfectly, completely custom capture the flag... Um, capture the flag challenge with the prize being an OSCP voucher. Uh, so I'm looking to do more of that stuff in the future um, uh, as uh, as time goes on. I'm, I'm looking to make the community bigger uh, and make it an inclusive community for everybody where we all learn as uh, one group, one cult, one group. I'm sorry, did I say cult? Um, passionate club of cephalopod enthusiasts. Well, thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me on. I'd love to come back on sometime. Uh, I, had a, I had a great time talking to you. I've got to say, that interview was a blast for me. It felt like the hour really flew by. So Al, thanks again for coming on. I definitely want to do another episode with you when the time is right. For everyone listening, I'll have a link to Al's Twitch in the description of the episode. And I strongly encourage you to give it a follow if you use that platform. And as always, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at shell underscore pod or join my Discord by going to whattheshellpod.com and clicking on the Discord link. That's all I've got for you this week. I'll see you next week for third week in a row of What the Shell.